This time on Watchers of Tomorrow. Watchers of Tomorrow. Wait a second. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Watchers of Tomorrow, the sci-fi review and critique show that seems weirdly familiar. Hmm. My name's Gepwin. I'm joined as always, as always, as always, by my friend and co-host, Dr. Izix. Hi, and hello, and hi. And we, we're there. This is the last episode of season two. <gasps> oh no, that, that means we're out of Star Trek, aren't we? Yes, completely. That's it. That's all. That was, that was hmm. all they ever did. Yeah, well, I, I guess this might be a good, uh, good ter- time to recap what we've experienced so far then, right? Yeah. It's, it seems like a good time to remind everyone what's going on or, <laughs> or possibly just save some money because we spent too much on Borg outfits. <laughs> well, you know, we got to have priorities, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so um, this is the infamous episode. But not infamous in that other way. Yeah. This is one of those ones that should be just taken out of the running for worst episode. Because it's just an outlier. It's outlier data. Yeah, it's like barely an episode, really. I mean, it, it's more of an episode than I expected it to be, interestingly. <laughs> I mean, there is technically a plot, but, you know. Yeah, until this week, when we when we actually went through to watch and write everything, this was the single episode of Star Trek I had never seen. Hmm. So uh, you were completely unaware about what you're going to be encountering. Yeah, my my mom, being the Star Trek fan who introduced me to these things like was just like no this is not worth watching we're, we're just gonna skip it anytime we watch the series if it's on tv <laughs> we're going to watch something else hmm. so uh yeah you know, was uh would, would you say your mom was right or, or wrong on that front i'm fairly right and i think what surprises me if they had bothered to direct the rest of the episode well or given them any amount of better writing it actually wouldn't have been that bad <laughs> Yeah, it would have been mediocre. Yeah, but enough got, of the yeah. episode <laughs> is new stuff that they could have made it way better than it was. Indeed, <laughs> but you know, they're all just kind of phoning it in, and they don't got money for much other than a kind of pretty good uh, jungle set, really. But you know, other than that, you know, like you know, Will Wheaton and uh, Michael Dorn don't even show up, except you know, in you know, a certain capacity. Yeah, uh, <laughs> which I was I was curious about. I was expecting them to only have a certain number of actors even in the other stuff because uh as i understand sag rules even if you use a pre-recorded bit of someone in an episode you still owe them money yeah but maybe it's like less money yeah i think it is less so anyway yeah this is the shades of gray written by maurice hurley who was the head writer and showrunner you know just did all of the filler filler things yes (laughs) we know we know him you know it's sort of a uh well i i guess uh I'm going to write this, I suppose. <laughs> and guest starring Cole Meany for some reason. Holy smokes! Cole Meany? Like, why? Why rope him into this? <laughs> well, with Michael Dorn and Will Wheaton not showing up this week, they needed someone to uh, run the transporters. <laughs> yeah. And that's the only thing I can think is, like, because he's a, technically a guest star, do they not owe him as much money? Yeah, I believe there there is different pay ranges on these things here. And, you know, uh, I, I guess there's also technically a whole lot of other guest stars, but, you know, it's even, you know, 
more complicated there. Yeah. Because <laughs> everyone knows this, basically. Anyone who's not familiar, we've been dancing around it, but it's not like it's going to be a big reveal. This is Star Trek's clip show. Spoilers! This, this is the only <laughs> clip show they did. They did it because they ran out of money for this season, because Elementary My Dear Data and Q Who were too expensive. And there is also some writer's strike stuff kind of uh, percolating around. And they're like, mm, we need something cheap and fast. And uh, also, we're going to record everything in like half the time. So, yeah. you know. So we get half an episode and everything else is clips. Clip yep. show clips. <laughs> <laughs> so that means we got, uh, you know, guest appearances from uh, Denise Crosby, Abdul Salam El Razak, uh, Metric Buttrick. Uh, Jay Luden, uh, Rosalind Landor, uh, Armin Shimmerman, uh, Whoopi Goldberg, and uh, whole much more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They <laughs> they they really did their best. Yes, they are doing better acting than anyone else in this episode because I I can only imagine it's because they phoned in the direction and no everyone knew it was going to be bad. Yes, so it's like, yeah, you just kind of show up and. <laughs> but like, no one is acting. Well. Card's just like, I'm here. Uh, I'm going to ask you a question now, uh, and it's going to lead to one plot thing, and then the second time I ask it, it won't. Yeah. Okay, I'm here. Bye. <laughs> okay, we may as well, we may as well get into this mess, right? Yes. <laughs> so we actually start with something. The Forge and Riker are on. An alien planet. Big steamy jungle. Mm. Very they're, wet. They're doing a geological survey of completely unexplored planet. But something's gone wrong because Riker is sitting down. <laughs> yes. Uh, obviously, he's got uh, a leg cramp and, uh, you know, he needs to stretch more, you know? Yep. I mean, you really need to get your electrolytes in before one of these stomping around to swamp missions. <laughs> Also, you're doing a geological survey, but why is there not someone down here doing like a plant survey too? Yeah, I know. And why the rocks are bigger. You'd think you could do more of that from orbit. Yeah. Or maybe you could go somewhere where you don't have to deal with a jungle. (laughs) So Riker, it turns out, has stabbed his leg on something and it Mm. feels a little off. Um, as per regulations, Jordy needs them to beam up to get it checked out because they're on a completely new world. They have no idea what anything is. Um, and in fact, the biofilter on the transporter does pick up some unidentified microbes that, in fact, can't be filtered out of the transporter. So they don't even know if they can bring him up to the ship or not. Hmm. Well, I guess we're going to have to uh, lop off his leg and uh, come back for it later. So Pulaski decides that she needs to beam down to take a look for herself. Um, she hates the transporter. Been well established that Star Trek mm-hmm. doctors don't trust transporters. <laughs> we know what it really does to you, man. <laughs> Even though they uh, use them for medicine, uh, not infrequently. Yes. <laughs> I still remember from Voyager, the fetal transport. It's like, oh, you're having complications with this birthing process? Well, we'll just pull the baby out there and hope it doesn't turn to goo accidentally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's better than a C-section. Sounds great to me. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) The the goo thing is a little bit of a weird side effect, but, you know, as far as, you know, actual uh, dealing with, you know, complicated pregnancy, you know, it's actually a pretty good idea. So O'Brien teases Pulaski about the transporter for a little while, and um, this is, in fact, the last episode Pulaski's going to show up in. 
So they get to have a little bit of fun with her because this, as far as I can remember, is basically the only time she and O'Brien have interacted. Hmm. I guess they got to make the best use of it uh, possible, which I guess leads to uh, awkward jokes about, uh, you know, not appreciating transporters or transporter chiefs. I mean, they would hate each other because yeah. <laughs> she, she hates transporters and his entire life is transporters because he's the only character that does transporters. So I, I know it hasn't really been established yet, but uh, O'Brien's, you know, very bad day episodes does become a thing in uh, DS9 for sure. It would have been kind of funny if one of them involved Pulaski popping back up uh, and being the, the, like the cause of one of those. <laughs> <laughs> Get my revenge. Yeah, she's one of the only characters that doesn't get constant continuing shout outs in the rest of the series is mm-hmm. like everyone just forgets about her she's just gone well you know maybe she ended up living a very boring life after all of this or maybe the reason she actually left is one of those yeah we don't want to talk about it sort of things yeah somebody figured out that she actually was that blind woman from original series <laughs> and she just was like well screw this i'm going off to live with the medusans <laughs> laters folks so Plasky finally beams down um apparently suffers no ill effects from transporting and is fine scans Smacker's leg a teeny bit goes okay yep we do need to get you up to the ship uh beam you up to the ship oh okay i i guess there's not any worries about contamination of the ship um from this potentially uh, deadly infection let's go i do think it's interesting because it, it really highlights the you know the way that people always complain that tv shows are doing things really inaccurately for how a situation should be handled mm-hmm. this is them doing a accurate representation of how something should be handled completely unknown yeah. pathogen mm-hmm. send the expert down to check it out go actually no it's not really a threat and we do need to to override our safety protocols to get you on board makes perfect sense probably a good way to handle that situation boring as hell yes (laughs) (laughs) led to two completely pointless scenes but hey she got to hang out with o'brien once so eh. And they got to make more use of the uh, the uh, jungle scene. Yeah, so I mean, that's the one thing they paid for. We're going to this damn jungle. <laughs> so Riker is stuck in sickbay now because he has an organism. It's not a bacteria and it's not a virus. It's a secret third thing. <laughs> as they are wont to do. <laughs> they said it as elements of both, which like doesn't make any sense at all. Even a little bit. It's just... So it's like... A- like a vac- bacteria that injects its DNA into cells but doesn't eat them? Or... What? Yeah. None of, I hate it. Stop doing biology. <laughs> biology is too complicated. You can make up engineering and everyone goes like, well, fine. Maybe they'll invent weird-ass engineering. Biology has <laughs> other rules. Yes. <laughs> well, maybe it's like a, a prion, but they don't want to introduce that word into people's vocabulary yet. Yeah, but that doesn't have... That doesn't have... <laughs> virus or or bacteria things it's its own thing get point get point if we you know don't have it able to be compared to something we're just completely losing the audience so we have to make up something now why did they even make it anything it it doesn't even it's a fungus if anything because it doesn't operate like a bacteria or a virus But we find out later what it, what it's supposed to be attached to, uh, and that makes even less sense. Yeah. So, <laughs> so this alien, this alien fungus, I've now decided it's a fungus, um, is fusing with Riker's nervous system, which mm. is why they can't 
filter it out because taking it out would just destroy his nervous system, which you kind of need. Yes. Though, I guess if it was still contained to his leg at this point, you could technically sort of do something like that, but you would have to, like, rebuild his nervous system in his legs. Sort They're of thing. a little bit unclear. Like, they use it as a joke in Lower Decks pretty often that they can just regrow a limb and pop it back on. Um, <laughs> I don't know if we canonically see that in next gen, but it does seem like the level of technology they should have access to. Now, I do uh, believe uh, when uh, Wesley has his uh, flight accident, uh, they have to like rebuild his arm or something like that. But then again, there's the uh, case of Nog, and maybe the tech just doesn't work for Ferengi, and also doesn't work for Will Riker. Well, they give him a whole <laughs> new leg. They give Nog a new leg. He just doesn't well, like it. It's, well, it's it's all, I believe it's also like a, a cybernetic leg too. Yeah, but it's completely indistinguishable from a normal leg. Yeah. So, like, they probably should have amputated the leg first. <laughs> as soon as they figured out it was going to spread to the brain, we can get you a new leg easier than we can get you a new brain. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, heck, you know, uh, you know, lop the leg off, uh, you know, clear of the virus, uh, you know, do lots of experiments, you know, and just kind of keep it on ice otherwise, uh, and then reattach it when it's all clear. So anyway, they have now figured out what the thing is, sort of. They haven't really mm -hmm. in any way that makes sense. But Pulaski seems to think she knows what she's talking about. <laughs> Maybe she doesn't. So Picard sends the Forgen data back to the planet to figure out what happened. Um, like, someone stabbed someone and I wasn't involved. Find out who did it. <laughs> data, data has some fairly justifiable concerns about bringing Geordi, a squishy flesh person, down to the planet. Um, mm -hmm. where a unidentifiable, apparently uncurable disease is. Yes. But Jordy's like, eh, whatever. But Jordy <laughs> knows where Riker was sitting down. Ah, uh, gotcha there, Data. No one could communicate that. <laughs> <laughs> so they get back to the planet. Data detects many dead fossilized animals. That's an interesting choice. Yeah, that's very interesting, because that implies that there that there's either been a massive amount of animals that have died and have been dead long enough to be fossilized here or something's fossilizing things very quickly and so somehow the fact <laughs> that you've called them out as fossils just means that this has been going on for a really long time yes. it does sort of make sense but it doesn't make as much sense as it should perhaps uh, from before when this was a jungle <laughs> yeah we'll get to this in a second but so jordy sees some active heat patterns on a vine which doesn't react to data but when Jordy reaches out for it it very suddenly moves and it's grabbed by data's amazing android reflexes who saved Jordy's life uh, i think data just noticed that the uh, the grip uh just off camera was about to move it and just was ready but yeah. you know <laughs> so now what they can see is that this vine has a really big blue claw thing on it hmm well, that's unusual uh why didn't we notice this earlier and then they use a phaser to get the claw thing off of the vine which struggles and then they transport back up to the ship. Hmm. So Data theorizes, now that they have a sample of the thing, that the plant and whatever's causing the illness, I'm going to say alien fungus, yeah. <laughs> have a symbiotic relationship where the plant paralyzes and kills animals. I don't know why. They say they don't know <laughs> why. This is where the thing, the, I was very disappointed because they so close to had something that made sense. Yes. <laughs> you, you do have carnivorous plants. This is mm -hmm. a thing. This, yes. this this almost makes sense. You could also explain so much of it. You know, the plant 
paralyzes an animal so that it dies nearby the plant, therefore decomposing and giving the plant more nutrients. That makes sense. Yeah. You know, any predator animal that comes to scavenge could also be hit by the plant, which means that the bones of the decomposing animals don't get disturbed as easily, meaning that it creates a better atmosphere for fossilization. That also makes some sense. Um, yes. A jungle having existed for this long with this plant in this location to create that many fossils doesn't make any sense because your jungle, I think, <laughs> probably would have had to have gone away about three million years ago for anything to fossilize. Yes. <laughs> uh, so uh, maybe there's some sort of geological process here uh, that causes, uh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> now, mummify. Moving on. <laughs> It does look like a bit of a jungle swamp, so if it's killing stuff and sort of mummifying it while it feeds off of it, that would make sense because a lot of carnivorous plants live in, you know, bog environments, which are hostile and low nutrient, which is why they have to feed off of animals because they don't have enough nutrients in the soil. Mm -hmm. But they don't say any, they don't seem to understand carnivorous plants exist. They're just like, it's doing this for a reason. I don't know. Maybe in that century, uh, all carnivorous uh, plants that aren't able to say hello to you have been exterminated for some yeah, reason. Yeah, they have full-on sentient plants that talk. Like, you know, this is not... <laughs> anyway. like, oh, a weird plant? Who would have thunk? <laughs> so anyway, the, basically, the, the practical upshot of all of this was everything that they just did was useless because um, it didn't help Pulaski do anything at all. Yes. It's like, all right, well, we got a sample and, uh, well... I can look at it, but it, looking at it doesn't really help me at all. Yeah. She goes, well, I found the thing. And they go, oh, but you don't have a way to kill it? It's like, oh, I have a way to kill it. You kill him. That yeah. would kill it right quick. <laughs> so the epidem uh, uh, solution, got mm -hmm. it. So Riker's having a great time, though. He's joking around with the staff. He's keeping the doctors entertained. Troy sees that he's actually scared. Oh, my God. Yeah. But he goes, <laughs> you know, I can die with some dignity. Plus... I'm not dead yet. Uh, oh, well, you're unconscious for this. I know, I just love it. Like, there's no reason to give up. <laughs> well, uh, all right. He doesn't have the ability to tell me not to give up anymore, so I'm going to give up. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> so the infection has reached the brain. Brain? What is brain? So they only have one thing that they can do, obviously. They need to plug needles into his head. Mm-hmm. And force the neurons to remain active so that they can slow down the infection. Obviously. Hmm. That's what you do with brain infections. Yes. Uh, obviously. <laughs> Plus we have this prop we haven't properly used it yet. <laughs> this has the particular side effect of making Riker relive his memories. And to make matters even worse, the transporter messes up and Riker materializes all alone. People ask me, Ben Velding, what's your favorite Star Trek? They don't actually, no one asks me that, and I don't talk to Star Trek fans. Considering ranking Star Treks, one should bring into account a combination of story quality and Star Trekness. Just considering Star Trekness would validate a screed by Gene Roddenberry, or Gene Roddenberry's lawyer, and story quality alone is just ranking things that are good. So, just to have a definitive Van Velding's favorite Star Trek's ranked. Here it is, one time only, never fucking again. Number one, Star Trek The Next Generation. It's aging a bit, but it is a solid fucking show that had good stories, solid characterization, and obviously it's hard to get more Star Trek than one of the foundational Star Trek series. 
Number two, Star Trek DS9. Great story, pretty Trek, and it, it does narrowly beat out number three, Star Trek. It just barely loses a DS9, and most of the points it loses are for its age. The effects don't matter. The acting is of its time, but still effective. It is glacially paced. Uh, unquestionably Star Trek. The story quality is hit or miss. People call it campy. I think it just it just goes with big ideas, and it doesn't get self-conscious about that. It's not a Marvel movie that has to undercut itself every five minutes because it's committing too hard to the bit. Uh, number four, Star Trek Lower Decks. I mean, yes, it loses points for being a Star Trek where everyone has watched Star Trek before, but I don't care. You fucking Persian flaw. Number five, Star Trek Voyager. I give it shit, but it's got some gems. Number six, Galaxy Quest. Yes, it is just uh, fandom jerk off, but it knows story structure. It knows the ideas. And it, it it's meta in a way that it pats its fans on the back in the way that any actual Star Trek patting Star Trek fans on the back would feel a little gratuitous. Number seven, Star Trek Discovery. This is the first of the Star Treks that I have not watched all of. It seems okay. It mostly gets by on Jet Reno. Number eight, The Orville. I have not seen season three, but it barely loses to Discovery just because everyone on that show drinks so much. It is good, but painfully unimaginative. Number nine, Star Trek The Animated Series. Yeah, there, there is a floor on this thing. Star Trek number 10, Prodigy. It is the, I have only seen one episode of Prodigy. And it was the one with the embarrassing audio engineering. I mean, what the hell, people? Like, this is supposed to bring in people like me, and you just half-ass it entirely. Number 11, the Kelvinverse, a.k.a. Star Trek 11 through 13, a.k.a. Star Trek the Star Trek, a.k.a. the ones with Chris Pine. It only breaks the top 20 on the strength of Carl Urban. Number 12, Babylon 5. It is high melodrama, but it gets that we're all alone out here. You know? So it's working, basically. It's making it a little better. But the memory pulse, whatever the hex they're doing, are too irregular. So they make them better with techno babble, so that you get even mm. more memories. He also meets up with Data, where they talk about his mechanical nature and how he's basically wants to be human, Pinocchio stuff, etc. Number 19, I know everybody says Empire Strikes Back is the best one, but A New Hope is the better film with a better story. I think a franchise should be a series of good stories, and that's what A New Hope is. Number 20, INM Banks' Culture Series. It really gets what it means to be a benevolent post-scarcity society. It's realistic without being cynical, and it understands the petty emotions that underpin humans and societies while still dealing out high-concept science fiction. Number 21. Very short treks are a lot of fun, but they really fumbled on the execution. Like, there's no way Season 3 Riker would, would be put off by some boogers. Do you know this man? He is game for anything, man. He gets in there. Elbow deep, no questions asked. Number 22. Now, Space Above and Beyond doesn't strike you as a Trek-like series, but it really gets the concepts of teamwork and brotherhood that are an effective underpinning of the franchise. Now, Wesley seeks advice from the crew about how to talk to women. And uh, Riker demonstrates flirting with Guinan until Wesley's told to just go away. One of the things that makes the Star Trek franchise and Star Trek fandom stand out to me among major science fiction franchises is just how successful it is at being both inspiringly serious and refreshingly silly. I don't know of other science fiction franchises that can accommodate the simultaneous existence of something like The Measure of a Man 
and Troubles with Tribbles. There is plenty of science fiction that can be inspiring, somber, serious, and intellectual, and there is plenty of science fiction that can be fun-loving and goofy, but I can't think of any franchise that has been able to successfully Heisenberg compensate its way into both of these tonal extremes existing simultaneously in the same universe. Uh, Riker then goes to Troy. They have a very confused cry because he's leaving, maybe. And also, they still have no idea how to write this relationship. Number 53. Dune is not very Trek, but the story is rock solid. And it does ask the sort of piercing moral questions we expect from Star Trek about religion, technology, and our own humanity. Number 54. Zootopia actually imagines a diverse world and commits to that world despite its challenges because the strengths are worth it. I don't want to throw up the Vulcan salute and say Idik over a movie with a CGI rabbit cop, but maybe sometimes we will all be bunnies. Uh, Troy's been keeping a running tally of Riker's emotions, I guess, um, so that we know how to interpret what's happening. Uh, kind of the most hilarious thing I find is that the emotions don't seem to match up at all with what we've been seeing, even a little. It's like, oh, there's uh, some happiness here, and uh, that's good. I guess <laughs> they have a clip of him crying, both of them crying because he has to leave the ship. Mm -hmm. And they're like, so happy and warm. <laughs> well, maybe Riker was happy that he was giving Troy a hug, and he, he did. He, and he, he wasn't actually going to leave, so you know he was just sort of letting her on in order to get a hug. <laughs> <laughs> He's feeling manipulative today. <laughs> that makes him happy, I guess. But that's working, and they need to get even more memories out of the poor skull. Number 107. Die Hard is quintessentially a story about values. It is a conservative film. That doesn't make it great, but it's laser focused on those values and the seamless story around them do. Cleanly, number 107. No contest. 108, The Shawshank Redemption. You see this movie on TNT every 12.5 seconds, but it's a classic for a reason. Tim Robbins, no offense, has the range of the mentally limited folks he so often plays. He's good at it, but those skills play equally well into a certain kind of educated naivete. Obviously, Morgan Freeman's great. It ends on a high note, high enough that repeat viewings rob us of the tension you feel in the first watch. And that ending should never be taken for granted. 109, The Great Dictator. It's not coy in the way that a lot of Charlie Chaplin films are not coy, but it is honest and well-structured. It pitches the moral at the end across the plate with the best of treks, and that's what makes it work. Phenomenal. 110, Star Trek Exeter. Uh, a fine attempt at a fan film. You can't really blame them for trying. Number 111, The Silence of the Lambs. What can I say? It kept me engaged for every second, and you kind of have to like Hannibal Lecter. The man has charisma. And you realize the nuance of that appeal to the character. And you have to sit that on the shelf beside he is a bad person. So many shows really fail to get that dichotomy across these days. So inside the one of the Edo, I don't know, sex rooms. Okay, so I know bookstores or more so bookshelves have gotten to this weird point or maybe never left from when the genres emerged where sci-fi and fantasy share space almost all the time, even though the only thing linking the genres is post-fact nerd aesthetic, which is, to be clear, weird on its own. But it's very funny to me that the only book I can think of which benefits fully from this blurred perception is Dune. But then people can't really agree on a genre anyway. 
For one thing, I know some people think being involved in space makes it a sci-fi by design, but that feels like a drawn-out perversion of what the genre meant. I mean, it'd be kinda awkward if Jules Verne didn't count, right? But anyway, Dune. With Dune, I can't tell if it's just the hard sci-fi gatekeepers, or the honest, but where's the science crowd, or the fact that the premise is as medieval as you can get except with lasers and nuclear weapons and planets? One time I proposed the Sci-Fi Fantasy Book Club begin every meeting with the question, which one is Dune? Mostly because I think it's an annoying question, but also on another level I think it genuinely helps deconstruct the point of genre, especially when the book club is leaning in on the arbitrary combination thing. Neither genre is too niche to thrive at this point, they don't need to be bound together as a survival tactic. I mean, Game of Thrones took over television for like half a decade. Anyway, I guess my point is that Dune has some space nonsense in it, but then there aren't aliens, and Precog is magical and spiritual, but also there's nuclear weapons, but really the reason we know it's not fantasy is very, very obviously that there's no sexy elves. He calls up a bar because he wants to play some jazz, so it's an old-timey jazz bar. There's a pretty lady. Number 223, Bluey. It's a kid's show, but it knows what it's about. I can't help but echo all of the fully grown people with no kids saying, it's not for everybody, but you should give it a shot. 224, American Dad. Clearly the best of what Family Guy was. If you ever lament the loss of Family Guy, you'd probably love American Dad. The show is crazy, it's unhinged, and occasionally it has a good moral at its core. Number 225, Star Trek First Contact. Number 226, The Expanse. I think it unravels kind of early, but it's committed to the politics and culture of a setting that feels real, if a bit loosely written and not really about any kind of moral idea at all. Troy now thinks that Riker's getting a bit feisty, you know? He's enjoying mm -hmm. himself a bit, a bit much. Excellent. Yes. But still, they need more. 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 Number 341, The Odyssey in English. Number 342, The Odyssey in the Original Greek. Number 343, The Odyssey in the Original Cleon. Number 344, that bit in the 30th anniversary where the Fraser cast and Kate Mulgrew do like a Star Trek skit on the stage. It, it's on YouTube. Number 345, The Odyssey in Tagalog. Speaking of private time, Ranker's getting more infatuated with Minuet in the holodeck. They dance, they talk, probably kissing and stuff. So I don't have much of a relationship with Star Trek and uh, sci-fi in general, actually, which is weird because both my parents were like, are like, they're, they're not dead, huge uh, sci-fi <laughs> nerds. Um, and the sci-fi channel was like always on when I was home. Um, but my favorite Star Trek story, and excuse me if I'm like a little bit of a basic bitch for this, because I know like everybody knows this, is the story about... Um, how William Shatner in the original series um, sabotaged the so there was like there was like this scene in an episode where his where his character uh, <laughs> William Shatner's character uh, was meant to uh, Captain Kirk was was meant to kiss um, Nichelle Nichols character Uhura and NBC executives uh, came back and were like, a mixed race kiss is not going to play in the Deep South. Um, so can you shoot like two different versions of the scene? Um, I think was their like compromise. Like you can f shoot the scene with a kiss, but you also need to give us some versions of the shot um, where they don't kiss. 
in case we need to cut it in for like the deep shot and I guess the deep south not shot um and I guess like um fucking they would have like final say on what goes into the um in into the episode and Shatner intentionally sabotaged all of the uh sequences that they shot that were supposed to be without the kiss so that they had to show the mixed race kiss on tv in 1968 and I think that's so cool that's so dope (laughs) like uh what a responsible use of your platform um stick it to the man uh Fuck yeah, William Shatner. <laughs> so the team interrupts Ben and Riker to report um, they were in having some fade to black times. Number 478. Love Island, but really only the season with Elias Chigros. The man is just attractive. I, I am not a complicated person. Number 479. Jack Chick Tracks. Despite being based in a hateful perversion of the good things about Christianity and filled with ridiculous strawman caricatures of atheists, gays, just anyone that hardcore psychotic Baptists, also known as Republican members of the House, don't like. The insane stories, adherence to their own ignorant principles of bigotry, and consistent art mark this as number 479. Brenda asks if he knows where she can wash her feet, by which she means let's go to your quarters and fuck. So they do that. 480. Short treks. They generally seem to be filled with miserable people written lazily, like a webcomic that just wasn't popular enough to get posted. Do, do people still get jokes about the, the bar for creating webcomics being very, very low? Is that... Do people still get that? So Pulaski sees that good memories are making the infection go faster, so maybe we should try... Bad memories. Number 650, Unshin Andalou. Uh, number 651, Sodom and Gomorrah, The Last Seven Days. Number 652, Star Trek, The Next Generation, a triple X porn parody. Number 653, It's Pat the Movie. Number 654, Eraserhead. Yar gets annoyed with this and starts to just walk to the shuttle. But Armas hits her with an energy bolt that sends her flying. They shoot Armas, it doesn't do anything, he just absorbs it. Uh, Crusher gets to Yar and confirms that she is dead. Number 995, Mein Kampf but thrown through a wood chipper. Number 996, Atlas shrugged but thrown through a wood chipper. Number 997, Twitter printed out and then thrown through a wood chipper. Number 998, a learning language model trying to do an impression of Donald Trump with the confidence of Jim Cramer. Number 999, Star Trek Insurrection. Uh, Troy knows, inherently, I guess mother powers, that this means he's going to die and calls Pulaski down immediately. So, these bad memories have in fact slowed the growth, so even more bad memories. Ah! 1315, Millennials. 1316, The Silent Generation. 1317, Gen X. 1318, Gen Z. 1319, Gen V 2023. 1320, Star Trek Generations. 1321, Avocado Toast. 1322, Baby Boomers. The second officer, Klang, does not believe Riker can handle being on a Klingon ship. 
Riker goes, Captain, what should I do? He says, like, well, it's your first command decision. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then he punches Clang out. 1702, the compiled bathroom graffiti by John Brown. 1703, indecipherable Mesopotamian pottery, undated. 1704, the Max Headroom Incident. 1705, the Stage 9 Interlopers. 1706, that Star Trek film Seth MacFarlane made in his garage as a kid. It is genuinely adorable. 1707, the Zapruder film. Riker finds Quinn in his quarters to question about stuff. He's like, hey, what's in that briefcase? And Quinn says, oh, we found a superior form of life. And then suddenly just attacks him, jumps Riker. <laughs> It's working, but still not enough, and Riker might be too weak to handle it, so... But there's nothing else to do, because he's going to die in a, in a minute, so... Even more jumble of memories! Oh. And they go so far as to threaten to kill Riker with his electric powers. 2263, my search history. 2264, magnetic fridge poacher warehouse rent asunder by a tornado. They start to help him down, but then three Ferengi arrive and they pull out energy whips that stun the entire away team. 2265, my brother and I mashing Star Trek, Ghostbuster, Ninja Turtles, and G.I. Joe action figures together as kids. Troy pities Armus, and they get angry and run off to absorb Commander Riker. 2266, Skyrim environmental storytelling after an unrelenting force shout. 2267, Starfield. Card and Riker begin retaking the ship. They uh, start by setting an auto-destruct sequence in case they can't regain control. 2268, a game of risk spat out of a series of ever smaller tumble dryers. The shit's about to explode. They need to get away from engineering to transport out. The transport is not working until the last second. 2811, a dog that can almost say hello. 2812, that time Quark was on Regis and Kathy Lee. Remick says that they don't mean humanity any harm. They just want to coexist. It's great, right? 2813, a dog waking up from a fart. 2814, Rain on your wedding day. Card and Riker respond by popping his head like a balloon. 2815, social media posts which say, watch until the end. Hello everyone, my name is Gepwin and I am joined here by my friend Dr. Isix. Hi. 2816, a fart that wakes up a dog. 2817, Star Trek Nemesis. They keep shooting until his chest cavity explodes. 3,377, a near-death experience. 3,378, Patrick Stewart's memoir. And this is the first episode of our new show. 3,379, a malignant terminal tumor. Except Picard goes, well, we can blow up the ship. 3,380, William Shatner's cash and memoir about Leonard Nimoy written after Leonard Nimoy died. Pushes the ship into the stellar chunk. 3,381, staring at an actual black hole. Chorus gets vaporized. Next time I on. Watches of tomorrow and after the final push hey it worked Riker wakes up Dade and Picard come to see him uh, Pulaski's afraid that it might have given him memory problems but no mm. he's fine because he remembers that he's Captain Picard excellent great uh, well uh, I guess uh, he can at least get a promotion out of this you know yeah and Picard and Admiral Data were worried about him but uh, Data's <laughs> pretty sure Picard doesn't have the authority to promote him to Admiral well, thankfully, it's uh, not Picard that's uh, promoted him. He's the guy on the on the slab there. Uh, the guy next to him is obviously the Grand President of the Federation, you know? Yeah. yeah. Some other Commodore, something Admiral. I don't yeah. know who promotes someone to Admiral. Hmm. You know, I guess there's like a Supreme Commander somewhere, but, you know. Yeah, but you never hear about them. Maybe the uh, Federation Council has to, uh, you know, uh, you know uh, do the top-level Admirals, and then the top-level Admirals can promote lower-level Admirals. And that's it. That's that's this is a jumble of things and stuff. Yes, things that happened in a Star Trek episode and then other things that happened in a different Star Trek episode. Yeah. And um 
in all honesty, um, this is a weird, weird episode. You've just heard it. It's weird. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't think we really are going to be able to discuss much than we've yeah, already I, uh, input. Yeah. yeah. I've already said I like the uh, the set there. That's kind of all I could say about yeah, this one. I complained about carnivorous plants. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah. We've talked about memories before. They didn't even say engrams, which is the thing I usually yeah. get to complain about when they deal with memories. <laughs> So, well, I, I guess uh, Gepwin, do you do you have any uh, you know uh, interesting memories to think back on in our time podcasting for the last few years? I could, but I don't. I'm not going to go back through things to find clips. All right, I'm too lazy for that. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, I I don't really got anything either. So yeah. So it's probably just time for the galaxy's favorite game show. Hey everybody, welcome to the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show. Today we got uh, a large number of contestants, but also most of them aren't actually here. So we're going to... Well, let me do some math here. And okay, okay, I think I can figure this out. out. Um, so the first uh, contestant who's uh, won a prize here is, uh, is winning the Medical Malpractice Prize, which goes to the transporter apparently, because it didn't strip the infection out of this time like a good bit of magical future tech should. Because, you know, transporters are magic and all. What does it win, Gepwin? The transporter wins... Post-fact nerd aesthetic. Well, uh, I guess that's uh, a good prize for the transporter to get. All right, the uh, the next one is the Clip Show prize, which goes to Riker's Brain, because it is specifically providing all the clips. You know, the uh, uh, Talosians provided the uh, clips in the uh, previous Clip Show, uh, you know, sort of experience when we had uh, the Menagerie, but... Uh, you know, that was actually well integrated into a, uh, you know, an episode. But uh, <laughs> here, just Riker's Brain on broadcast, I guess. Uh, what does it win, Gepwin? Riker's Brain, for providing clip show clips, wins... William Shatner's character, uh, Captain Kirk. Huh. Oh, all right. Well, um, moving on, our uh, final prize today, uh, which I'm surprised we actually managed to get to three, is uh, Riker and Donuts, which goes to the rest of Riker's body and Troy for keeping us updated on Riker's emotional state. What does it win, Gepwin? Or what do they win? Well, Riker and Troy are going to have to share... 4,208 sensory deprivation tank, but the fluid contains LSD. And 4,209, basically any video on YouTube that involves the Taliban and someone not in the Taliban. 4,210, same as above, but with an unskippable Grammarly ad. 4,211, Goatsy. 4,212, Family Guy. 4,213, Two Girls, One Cup. And finally, 4,214, Star Trek Picard. Alrighty then. Um, I'm not really sure how I can respond to all of that, but, uh, uh, that... That's what they win. Anyway, um, feel free to take us away, Gepwin, before I get even more confused by what's going on. Yes, thank you, everyone, for this thing that we call the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show. Woohoo! Alright, that's that's the season. Yeah. Yep. Or or is it Gap One? Dun dun dun. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> we do have more season. <laughs> Everyone knows that we have more season. <laughs> I don't think we fooled anyone. 
<laughs> but we've only had 22 episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation so far in, in this season. What's, so, yeah. There, sh- there should be like at least four more, right? You'd think. But no, they don't know. Yeah, we've got season three. Um, we're, of course, going to have um, actually probably a holiday break. I think it, I think it, li- it lined up. Huh. I think it lined up that there's going to be like a holiday break or something similar. <laughs> yeah. Though I guess we could just put on uh, uh, Snowpiercer again on uh, Christmas uh, Day. <laughs> yeah. Christmas Snowpiercer. <laughs> Snow. Red. Yes. <laughs> Maybe we should just uh, you know do that every year from now on. <laughs> yeah. We do have our um, our, our tradition. We will have our little break between seasons, but you all are going to get to look forward to our movie episode that we kind of skipped so we could do this you know so we have mm-hmm. guest stars we always have guest stars and this one's going to yes. be new and special who did you who did yes. you get who did you rope into who uh-huh. did you rope into this so uh i i got a lot of random friends from a- across the world and throughout time and space uh because that's how i roll uh and uh one of my friends who's uh, goes by the name max because that's his actual name <laughs> uh he's a rocket scientist yeah so we're going to have a real, <laughs> honest-to-God, send-stuff-into-space rocket scientist. Yes, uh, I believe he was uh, specifically involved in sending uh, some sort of William Shatner into space, too, uh, as part of uh, that whole uh, deal. Oh, my God. So, you know, <laughs> so there's, you know, there's a, a strong connection to Star Trek there. He's also a, a massive Star Trek uh, fan. Uh, I don't know. I feel like I've heard his voice recently. Yeah. Anyway. Sounds familiar yeah. somehow. Yeah. Um. But yeah, we've got uh, you know uh, him, and uh, we got uh, you know, he uh, decided to pick out a movie that uh, apparently uh, you know is um, about a land where it's like the future, but not and different. Yeah, we, yeah. we're gonna have. Um, I've never seen. I know very little about this, but uh, the the that weird thing that Disney keeps doing, where they got Pirates of the Caribbean to work out really well, mm-hmm. and they were trying to do literally anything else they could think of to make pirates of the caribbean happen again yes well uh, maybe people just really like pirates yeah i think but i guess they didn't think of that or they wrote a actual half decent movie that that could have been no. it too yes <laughs> so uh yeah there's a a, a film that is uh, based off another uh a bit of disney world or disneyland i forget which one probably showed up in first um you know, it's called Tomorrowland. Yeah, I think it was a Disneyland first. I remember this. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we have the movie Tomorrowland, which I'm sure is a very normal movie about the people mover and how amazing the plastic house of the future is. Yeah. Oh, oh, I got so many, uh, you know, uh, you know uh, clips of uh, houses of the future because of a friend of mine like collects them. Uh, I could send them to you, uh, Geplin, before we uh, record, and we can uh, compare notes about all of that. Oh, that sounds like fun, actually. <laughs> It's like yeah, we're gonna we got push a button in order for the lower drawer to p- slide out and then slowly raise up so you can reach into it without you know having problems. Uh, th- uh, this might not even come up in the episode itself, so I'll just say here that like I am I am just old enough and I went to Disneyland for the first time just young enough that my early memories of Disneyland are going to the world of tomorrow, Tomorrowland stuff. And it was still the people mover 
and <laughs> the theater in the round thing. I forget what they called that, but like you go into the big cylindrical room and there's movie screens all around you. Oh my God. <laughs> A surround theater. Yeah. All of the like, <laughs> this stuff was really cool in the seventies, but it has not been futuristic for at least 15 years stuff that they were just about to get rid of. Yeah. Uh I do, uh, you know, appreciate, you know, like the, the uh, streamlined rockets and things like that uh, sort of going on, uh, you know, that sort of whole uh, vibe, which is very much Z-rusted uh, to oblivion in most places. But, uh, you know, it is, uh, they do want to update it so it keeps being the world of tomorrow as opposed to the world of the tomorrow of the 70s. Yeah, even though it's, it, it, I don't know, I don't think they've updated it well because now they're just trying to do NASA punk shit or something. Yeah. Well, uh, the, the expanse is probably popular, so you know. Yeah. Hey, Space Mountain. I miss it. I miss. I miss my old ray gun punk era. <laughs> oh, uh, have you ever read Buck Godot? No, don't think so. All right, it, you know, zap, zap gun for hire. <laughs> <laughs> it's a uh, comedic but ray gun punk. So anyway. <laughs> okay, so next time we're going to be looking at Tomorrowland with an actual freaking rocket scientist. So that'll Gosh. be really interesting. And also, we'll, we, we, we did the whole thing. We can fourth wall. Thank you, everybody who provided clips for this episode. Information mm -hmm. and links to all of their stuff will be in the description. So please go check them out. Yes. You've heard at least a few of them on the show before. <laughs> yes, and or will in the future. Ah. Ah. Foreshadowing. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Until uh, next time, I guess? Yes. Till next time tomorrow till tomorrow not actually tomorrow but you know it fits in with the the, the name just just, tomorrow, just just do the tomorrow. just do the thing next time on watchers of tomorrow max takes us to tomorrowland let's watch it you have been listening to watchers of tomorrow a podcast on science fiction media Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more. And where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on YouTube.com slash Gepwin and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Isix, on youtube.com slash Dr. Isix, and Twitter at IsixLP. Music is Waveform and Maury's Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, Please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists. <laughs> <laughs>